Pastor Edgar. Thank you. Well, good evening. If you love God, I'd like you to stand. If you don't love God, I guess you can stay seated. That's okay. If you love your pastor, I want you to raise your hand. All right. Very good. I love you too. Well, because you love God and you love your pastor, why don't you come sit a little bit closer and uh, come on in close. Uh, You think I'm teasing you. Come on in close. Come on up. And uh, we're going to dive in God's Word together. But uh, come on, move up a little bit closer. I promise I won't spit on you. You got comfortable and got in your seat, I know. But uh, if you're sitting in the first, oh, eight or nine rows, then you don't need to move. You already chose a good seat. But as you come on up and we get close together, I appreciate it. (laughs) The next time I ask you if you love your pastor, you may not want to vote so quickly. (laughs) Thank you, church. Thank you. I want you to grab your Bible and uh, your outline if you would like to take notes. We're going to be in a number of passages of Scripture together tonight. But uh, the last couple weeks, we have been talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been standing strong, and we looked at uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and then we uh, last week talked about sanctification in Romans 12, uh, verse 2. And tonight we're going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be in a number of different passages. It kind of reminds me of a story that you've probably heard, but it, I think bears repeating. Uh, it's a story of this pastor who just got out of school, and he went to his first assignment in this old country church. And he preached on that first Sunday, and I tell you, the church was thrilled. They loved the sermon, they loved the pastor, and and the board was excited, and and they came to the second week, and that pastor preached, but the, the crowd was a little bit surprised because he preached the exact same sermon, and so they wanted to be encouraging, and so they uh, uh, amened, and they cheered him on, and he kept preaching, and, and then it came to the third week, and boy, they loved their pastor, and he preached the exact same sermon again. At this point, there's a couple board members who say, you know what, we love our pastor, but somebody needs to talk to him. And so this board member went to this brand new pastor fresh out of school and said, Pastor, we we love you. And and that was a great sermon, your first sermon. And and, and it was really good that second week. And and the third week it was good, but, but do you know anything else? And as you remember how the story goes, the pastor said, well, yeah, but once we start living that first sermon, then I'll move on to the next sermon. You know, sometimes it is good for all of us to remember that we need to get information two and three and four times. And while this is not the same sermon as last week or the week before, we're going to be talking about the same truths. And don't let your heart or your mind wander and say, oh, I already got this. We need to press in to see what God has for us in the power of the Holy Spirit tonight. I want to key in and focus on the question, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? We've talked about the, the power of the Spirit helping us stand strong. We've talked about what sanctification means, being set apart for God's holy use. But, but how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? By way of a little bit of review, let's look again at God's promises declared. I want to establish right from the start tonight that the promise of being filled with the Holy Spirit is God's promise. It's not man's promise. 
This is not an idea from the Church of the Nazarene or from Grace Point. This is a Bible doctrine. It's a Bible teaching. It's not just a shared group of experiences from some people. It's a clear declaration from God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're taking notes, jot this down. It's a divine imperative, not a human initiative. It's a divine imperative, not a human initiative. Look in your Bible or in the outline there at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. There is a notion, I think, among many Christians in the church today that being filled with the Holy Spirit is somewhat of optional equipment. We talked a little bit about this in in the uh, 201 class. In the same way that when we purchase a car, you can choose a package that is the intro package on the car or the deluxe package. I think sometimes we view this being filled with the Holy Spirit as kind of like an option. I'm saved, that's like the intro, and, and that's not as costly that some may think, but, but the deluxe Christian package is being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that costs a whole lot, and, and I'm not sure if I want the deluxe. I'm okay with just the entry-level model. Well, friends, this is very, very far from the truth. God's Word makes no such distinction between some entry level and some advanced costly level. Look at this verse with me in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. The Apostle Paul uses this strongest language he can think of, the strongest verb tense possible here to communicate that it's not optional for the believer. It's standard equipment for the Christian life. The promise is not just for the spiritual elite, it's not just reserved for those who want to get serious, but it's for every Christian, it's a divine imperative. Throughout history, God has called his people to holiness. Leviticus 11.44, God commands, be holy as I am holy. Centuries later, through his revealed son, Jesus Christ reiterates this imperative in his teaching in Matthew 4.48, but you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And again, in the church era, that early church, Paul reminds us of God's imperative in 1 Peter 1.15, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. I don't know about you, but when I read verses like that, it's a little bit intimidating. I don't know if... If I can do that, to be holy as God is holy, if we're going to do this in our own strength, it should be intimidating. It is impossible for you to be holy. Now, some of you, when you hear that, you go, I know it. Others go, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of good. But either way, we need to have an adjustment in our life and to realize that without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to be sanctified holy. We cannot be holy without the power of the Holy Spirit. Affirm this truth with me. It's on the screen. I want you to say it out loud. I want you to read it with me. I cannot be... Okay, that wasn't good. Let's try again. I cannot be holy without being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not rocket science. It's impossible for you and for me to be holy without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, God says, be holy as I am holy. This is for every believer, every follower of God. 
So if I'm going to be holy as he is holy, and I cannot be holy without being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is not optional equipment. This is not just kind of if you want to. This is not just for those who get really, really close, the core. This is for every believer. I believe this is why so many Christians are frustrated. They are brittle. They are dry. They are cranky. They say, you know, I've tried Christianity, but it it doesn't really work for me all the time. The problem is they have tried Christianity. You can no more sanctify yourself or fill yourself with the Holy Spirit than you can save yourself from your sin. As I shared a number of weeks ago in the 201 class, sometimes in our faith tradition, we do really well with understanding that I cannot forgive my own sin. That I have to have the grace of God to forgive me of my sin. But somewhere we think, God, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try to earn my way to be holy for you. I'm going to do all the right things on the checklist, and then I will then be holy and set apart for you because of what I did. I'm so committed. I have gripped my teeth, and my willpower is strong. Don't misunderstand me. There's a place for discipline. There's a place for us to allow God to chisel away at us and call us to action. But we cannot fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is a divine obligation, not a human opinion. This isn't something that you can just kind of reason away and say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Bible-believing Christian, but I, I don't know if I'm part of that holiness camp. You know, I like coming to Grace Point, and I guess it's a Nazarene church, and that's fine, but I don't know if I would identify with myself as being a Nazarene, and so that's somebody's opinion. Hey, this is a divine obligation. It's not an opinion. This is not just some kind of theological category of of gathering of, of believers. This is for every believer. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 with me. Because God commands you and I to be filled with the Spirit, He also assumes the responsibility to accomplish that work in our life. The Apostle Paul prays this prayer. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God will accomplish this sanctifying work by baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. He promises this in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. You see, there are many different ways we can experience this. Some people, when they are baptized with the Holy Spirit, when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they report a, a significant, almost spiritual goosebump experience. Others, it's just a quiet, peaceful confidence that the Lord brings. Some experience this in the early days of their walk with Jesus. Others, it's been a number of years after they have accepted Christ and until they've experienced this filling of the Holy Spirit. And, and don't let that confuse you. Don't focus on the manifestation of somebody else's experience with the Holy Spirit filling them, that you miss the promise that He will do it. This isn't my opinion. Look back at the the scripture with me. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. If we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit, if we are listening to him and moving in obedience, he will fill us. In other words, look in your notes here. I cannot be sanctified without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, although God deals with us individually, there are a couple important distinctions that 
we need to be aware of. Let's look at the promise of the Holy Spirit described. The Bible talks about, in John chapter 3, being born of the Spirit. And being filled of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4. And there's a difference between being born of the Spirit and filled of the Spirit. We've already learned that the moment we trust Jesus Christ to save us from our sin, the Holy Spirit enters into our life and he bears witness with us that we are a child of God. Romans 8 talks about this. So if you already have him living in your heart, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? First of all, it doesn't mean that when I'm saved, I just get a little bit of God. And when I'm sanctified, I get God 2.0. Or iOS 7, or whatever it means. I get all of the other things of God. No, when you are saved, you get all of God that there is. But He doesn't necessarily have all of you. You've allowed Him to go so far in your life and to forgive you of your sins, but you let Him to have authority in every area of your life. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is when you are allowing God to get all of you. Drop this down. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that I get more of Him. It means that He gets all of me. It's the major reason why Christians are not living the Spirit-filled life, I believe. We are so eager to pray, God, I want more of you, more of you. And God is shouting back, you have all of me, but I need all of you. God, you didn't hear me. I need a better experience of you. I need a touch from you. I'm feeling kind of down today. I'm feeling kind of tired. Anybody ever feel tired? Anyone? Anybody ever come to church? And it's not because you don't want to. It's not because you don't believe. You just, your your motor's just not kind of running. Am I the only one who ever feels that way sometimes? If you felt that, raise your hand. Okay, very good. If you're lying, then raise your hand. Of course, we have all felt that at times. We have all had a moment where you go, I just don't, I don't, I don't know if I feel like having Pastor Edgar try to rile me up and sing. I don't know if I just feel like listening to Pastor Brady rant a little bit longer. I just, I don't feel, you know what? That's okay. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is not determined by our feelings. Now, feelings aren't bad. Sometimes they come and they are a blessing, but they are not the engine that drives this thing. They're the caboose that sometimes follows behind. You see, it is important for us to realize that the power of the Holy Spirit is real, it is available, it is tangible, whether you feel like it or not. Amen? You know, I didn't intend on sharing this, but but I'm going to. You know, when... The two guys are in prison, and all is looking gloomy and dark, and they begin to sing praise to God. Do you think they felt like singing? Do you think they, they just said, you know what, I kind of like this jail cell. Let's just, let's just strike up a song. Let's just sing it. They made a choice to praise God. And when they gave glory to God, the power of the Holy Spirit was released. And it not only set them free from prison, all those who were watching were touched by God. There's something to this power of the Holy Spirit that's deeper than myself. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that I get more of Him. It means He gets all of me. Being filled with the Spirit is the difference between Jesus Christ as my Savior or my Sovereign. It's one thing to trust Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to receive the free gift of eternal life. It's quite another thing for us to give him full control and ownership 
over our life. The Apostle Paul had to come to the point in his life when he wrote this, and listen to the paraphrase of Philippians 3.8. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way, Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my Master, firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Many people profess Jesus Christ is their Savior, but few are willing to make Him their Sovereign. You've heard me say it before, but it bears repeating again. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the difference between the Holy Spirit as being resident there in my life or president of my life. Is, is, is Jesus just in your life? Or is He president of your life? Is He controlling everything of who you are? Listen to Romans 8.6. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. Friend, don't allow a teaching about the Holy Spirit to be categorized in your brain one more time as just some fictitious thing that happens for some people in Scripture. Like Paul, like Silas, like Peter like John, like some pastor that you've known, like some spiritual giant in your life or mentor. It's not just for some elite somewhere. It is available to every Christian. In fact, it is standard equipment for every Christian. You see, we need to understand that when the Holy Spirit controls our mind, there is peace and life right here. Okay, pastor, I see the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit as a clear command for every Christian. I understand that He is the one who will do the work in me. But you said we'll talk about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sold, but how do I do this? Let's look at the gift of the Holy Spirit delivered. I want to highlight an acrostic that I've taught some of you in a different setting off of the word fill. As we're looking at being filled with the Holy Spirit, let's look first at the letter F. This is how we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. First, we need to, the letter F, face the root of our problem. Until we get honest and face the root of our problem, we will no longer be able to say, well, I'm ready to receive the Holy Spirit. I have to face that root of the problem. 1 John 1.9 tells us, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jot this down. I am not a sinner because I sin, but I sin because I am a sinner. What do you mean? Is that just kind of like semantics? Is that the same thing? I'm not a sinner because I sin, but I sin because I'm a sinner. At the very core of who we are when we are born, we are born with a bent towards evil. There is a natural tendency to want to get our own way to put self on the throne and, and all the actions that come out are dealing with this sinful nature in us. When I am saved, I give God my sins. When I am sanctified, I give God myself, and He cleanses my sinful nature. I die to myself, and I no longer have to stay in chains to willful disobedience anymore. I need to face the root of the problem. To receive forgiveness, that means, let's go to the letter I... I must repent and confess the sin in my heart to God. John addresses this verse 
that we just read, to repent means to quit the sin, to turn the other direction and to start moving forward with God. To confess means to say the same thing about my sin that God says about it, knowing that I cannot fix my life, but I want his help to change me. Notice that when I do this, God will do two things. He forgives my sin, plural, my sins, plural, and he will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's singular. He will deal with the, the, the many willful disobedience, the sins that I have committed. He will also deal with the unrighteousness that bent towards evil in my life, and he'll bring freedom from that. The Apostle Paul testifies in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Pastor, this is a lot of scripture. Can you just pick one? I want you to see that this is woven all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Old Testament. This is God's plan for you as a follower of Him. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Paul is giving his testimony. I die every day. I die every day. I give myself to Him every single day. For many of you here today, this is exactly... What I believe you need in your life, you don't need a religious band-aid. You don't need a spiritual booster shot. You don't need a positive affirmation talk. You need a radical surgery of the soul where we die out to ourself, to our agenda, and allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse our sinful nature. I urge you to face the root of the problem, to repent and to confess, and this... Next here, I, I will invest my entire devotion. I will invest my entire devotion. Turn to Romans 12.1. Dying out to the sin in my heart always paves the way for me to invest or consecrate my life to God. Now, we often equate consecration with surrender, but there's a difference. You know, surrender is when a rebel waves the right flag and and gives up. Someone who's rebelling against an authority waves the white flag and and gives up. That's surrender. That's what happens when we are saved. But consecration is a rebel who has been saved, who now dedicates their life and, and willfully gives over control over everything else. We begin to see that God has a plan. And it causes us to invest our entire devotion by consecrating our life. Acts chapter 9 talks about this. Consecration, this forgiven rebel, now a child of God, offers their entire life in devotion to him. Romans 12, 1, we talked about it two weeks ago. I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Now listen to me closely. I want to ask you a series of questions, and I don't want you to just allow them to roll off of your ears and not penetrate to your heart. Does God have full control of your life? Does He have full control of your schedule, your calendar? Does He have full control over your checkbook? Does He have full control over your relationships? Your dreams, your plans, your passions. 
We might as well forget about being filled with the Holy Spirit if we just want to give God 95% control. He needs 100%. Second place won't cut it for God. Until I make Jesus Christ Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. He has to be in charge of everything in my life, or He is not Lord in my life at all. I wish that didn't rhyme, because sometimes when it rhymes, you go, oh, that just sounds good. We just expect Pastor Brady to say that. But, But think about it with me. If God is not the God of your Xbox 360, He's not the God over every other area of your life. If He's not the God over your grandkids, He's not the God over every area of your life. If He's not the God of your retirement blessings or woes, He's not the God over every area of your life. We don't just get to pick and section out where we want Him to be God, but these areas, not so much God, or 95% God, but it's 5% needing me to help. We have to allow him to be God in every area. We need to look to Christ's cross. Hebrews 13, 12 gives us some hope. As I have talked about, Jesus not only died to wash away our sin and guilt, but he died to break the power over sin so we can be sanctified holy. And so... Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. You see, every benefit Christ purchased on the cross for you, including your sanctification, it's appropriated by faith, by trusting in him, by surrendering everything to him. You can begin to try to work harder, to pray harder, to study harder, and wait for some tingling thing to come down as a sign that God has filled you with the Spirit. But I tell you what, it's not about you trying. It's about you surrendering and consecrating your life to Him and saying, I want you to have everything, whether I feel a spiritual goosebump or not. Jot this down. My part is to trust God with my life. The Holy Spirit's part is to sanctify my life to God. We get one thing to do. Trust God with our life. He gives us the power. He does the sanctifying. He does the setting apart for His use. God only is waiting for you and I to trust Him. Finally, we have to live in humble obedience. The Holy Spirit is a person, and consequently, He can be grieved. He can be wounded. Being filled with the Spirit requires a commitment to continually follow His leading in our life. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Through disobedience. He says, I, I want to have intimacy with you, a closeness between your God and you, and, and there is distance that's put when we stretch the truth. This is politically correct speak for lying. When we borrow something without returning, this is a casual way of saying stealing. When we deface another person's character, this is gossip. Getting even, otherwise known as unforgiveness in our heart. The Holy Spirit says, why do you do these things? Let me change your thought. Let me change your words. Let me change your actions. Paul writes, do not put out the Spirit's fire in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. How do we do that? Once again, in this context, there's a few ways. When we presume on God's grace, we 
put out the Spirit's fire. This is when we have spiritual apathy. Church, I I hope that we haven't heard the message so much. We just think, ah, I'll wait till next time I hear it. I'm not trying to speak fear into you or trying to have some kind of emotional manipulation. Eternity is really long. This life is really short. Whether you've got 10 months left, 10 years, or 70 years, compared to eternity, it's a blip on the radar. God wants you to experience the power of His Holy Spirit now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't say, well, once I get this settled, then I will allow the Holy Spirit to have control in my life. He wants to bless you with it now. Taking God's blessings for granted, this ingratitude, can put the Spirit's fire out. Failing to walk my talk, hypocrisy can put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Flirting with evil. Sometimes we spend so much brain power trying to get as close to the edge as we possibly can. What can I technically do? We begin to play games with God and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a strong Christian. I'm a mature believer, and so these things are okay for me. Friend, the mature believer says, I want to get close to the edge. God is so good. Well, sure, maybe permissible, but it's not beneficial. I'm coming over here. Paul says, I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to flirt with that. Is that because Paul is so refined? He's so disciplined. No, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says... Don't do that. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you or it's going to hurt somebody else. When we play with Satan's fire, it will not only burn us, but it will put out the fire of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit is saying, I cannot demonstrate my presence and power in a life that is cluttered with these practices. We've got to face the root of the problem, invest our entire devotion, look to Christ's cross, and to live in humble obedience. I'm not trying to present a formula, but but it is as simple as I can put it. When I am saved, I give God my sin. When I am sanctified, I give God every corner of my life. I believe that God wants to bring victory in the hearts of many of us here tonight. I'm going to ask Pastor Edgar to come to the piano. And I know this is the core, the cream of the crop. And it'd be easy to think, well, everybody here has heard or taught this message. Why in the world would we give an opportunity for somebody to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I was in a church revival service every night of my life for the first bunch of years of my breathing existence. It was an Iowa district camp meeting where I could have memorized the sermons that were preached by my dad and and I had heard them so many times that I couldn't hear it anymore. But I'm thankful for a consistent offering and opportunity to have the victory of the Holy Spirit in our life that was presented before me because even though I had heard it hundreds and hundreds of times before, It was on that particular night in that August camp meeting when I said, God, I am tired of trying to hang on to it myself. You have forgiven me of my sin. I love you, but I need your power. Maybe you're here tonight and 
You've been a part of Grace Point or your church home for decades. Don't let the enemy whisper lies into your mind right now. What will people think if you move to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Won't they judge you? You know what? That is the lie from the pit of hell. You know what your church family will think? You are growing in grace. You are making the best decision possible to allow God to have control over every area of your life. I want to ask you to do something that sometimes feels tough to us. I don't know why it does, to be honest. I really don't. With the persecution that Christians face all around the world, I don't know why this is so tough. But the enemy loves to dig into our culture. If you're here tonight, and you want to receive the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Maybe you need to be sanctified for the first time. The first time that you've given Him control over your life. Or maybe you need an Acts 4.31, a renewal of the Holy Spirit in your life. If that's you, as Pastor Edgar sings, I don't want you to wait for anybody else. I want you to stand up. I want you to step out and just come kneel at these altars and we're going to pray together. I'm not going to have you talking to a microphone. I'm not going to embarrass you. If you can't kneel, you can come sit on the front row here. But if God's speaking to you, don't wait for anybody else. As Pastor Edgar sings, I want to encourage you to move in obedience to God right now.